0: Be sure to check out my latest horror anthology series, Fragments of Fright, Volume One, is waiting for you. Go to Amazon and search for Fragments of Fright, or go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com/books. Missing the father. In the late 1970s, my 17-year-old daughter Missy was babysitting for the Andersons, a well-to-do couple in the high end of town. She babysat for them regularly. The Andersons had identical twin daughters. Missy loved them like they were her own and always looked forward to babysitting for them. Missy was a dream daughter, the perfect child. She was a straight-A honor student, a member of the student council, and the head cheerleader. Whenever she went out at night, she was always home well before her curfew. Everyone loved her. It was a cool autumn Saturday night. The Andersons had a company party they were attending, and Missy was babysitting for the twins. It was just a typical Saturday night. There wasn't any reason to be concerned. Missy showed up at the Andersons' house at 6 o'clock p.m. The Andersons told her they'd be home by midnight. Being an overprotective parent, I would often call Missy at the Andersons' house just to make sure she was okay. She was always amused when I called. She thought it was funny that I checked in on her. She would giggle as she went on about how safe the neighborhood was and how we didn't have anything to worry about. When I called at 7 o'clock p.m. that night to make sure everything was okay, she insisted that things were fine and dandy. Those were her exact words. I called her again a little after 9 o'clock p.m. She answered the phone with a chuckle and said, Everything is fine, Dad. She mentioned that she had just tucked the twins into bed. Then I remember hearing three sharp thuds. My impression was that it was someone knocking on the door. Upon hearing the knocks, Missy said, I have to go, and hung up the phone. I called back at 9.30 p.m. and got a busy signal. I called again at 9.45 p.m. and again at 10 o'clock p.m. I continued to receive a busy signal. Normally I wouldn't have thought anything about it. She was likely gabbing on the phone with her boyfriend Greg. He was the captain of the football team and seemed like a fine young man. Although I remember the previous day overhearing Missy telling one of her friends that she thought Greg was cheating on her. When I called again at 10.15 and the phone was still busy, I decided to drive over to make sure she was okay. The Anderson's house was approximately 20 minutes from our home. I pulled into the driveway at 10.37. When I walked up to the house, the hairs on the back of my neck bristled as I noticed the front door was slightly ajar. I immediately pushed open the door and started calling out for Missy. My fears rose quickly from the absence of a response. I hurried into the living room and found a chair knocked over and the oriental rug in the living room crumpled up. There was also a large knife lying on the floor. I called the police and rushed up the stairs to the twins' room. They were both fine and fast asleep in their bed. When the police arrived, they searched the house. Besides confirming the obvious signs of a struggle, they found a minuscule amount of blood on the corner of the marble coffee table. Later, it was confirmed that the blood belonged to Missy. The only other clue they had was one of the neighbors in the back stating that they looked out of their bedroom window at approximately 9.45 p.m. and saw a shadowy figure exiting out of the back door of the house. The obvious suspect was Missy's boyfriend, Greg Rollins. One of Missy's friends came forward to divulge that Missy suspected Greg was cheating on her. I surmise that Greg was the one I heard knocking on the door slightly after nine. Missy must have broken up with him after she let him in, which sent him into a rage. He then abducted Missy, murdered her, and hid her body. Greg was the only person the police had on their radar, but they quickly ruled him out as a suspect when he presented a rock-solid alibi. I talked to Missy slightly after 9 o'clock. I arrived at the house at 10.37. The confrontation had to have taken place within that time frame. The movie theater box office manager confirmed that Greg bought a ticket for a movie at 8.30. The movie started at 8.45. A girl working the concession counter at the movie theater is on record saying Greg bought popcorn at 9.30. An usher said he spoke to Greg as he exited the theater at the movie's conclusion. That was 10.35. He was seen before, during, and after the movie, which was good enough for the police. At first, it was good enough for me as well, but months later... After we accepted the fact that we would never see Missy alive again, we held a memorial service. I bumped into Greg there. It was something about his shifty eyes that gave him away. I have no way to prove it, but there is no doubt in my mind that Greg Rollins is responsible for the death of my daughter. Missing, the boyfriend. My name is Greg Rollins. I was Missy's boyfriend. Missy was not the prim and proper all-American girl that everybody made her out to be. She was conning everyone. She was conning me too, but then I found out the truth. Missy had a dark side. It was a bit cliche for the captain of the football team to start dating the head cheerleader, but Missy seemed so nice. Like me, she was on the honor roll. She was on the student council too. I thought she was very sweet and asked her out on a date. Our first couple of dates went well, but then things started to change. She had extreme mood swings. She'd be happy and cheerful one day, and then the next she'd be angry and irritable. I also noticed that she was exceptionally twitchy. She was often bouncing her legs when she sat down and fidgeting with her fingers. She just couldn't stay still for two seconds. There were multiple nights when I noticed her pupils seemed unnaturally large as if dilated. Then she started having nosebleeds. She claimed it was due to a nose spray she was taking, but I suspected otherwise. One night I followed her. She caught a bus to a seedy part of town. I watched as she approached a large tattooed man on a street corner. He was more than twice her age and was wearing a white tank top. When they disappeared into a darkened alley, I crept up and spied on them. I observed Missy perform a sexual act on the man. He then handed her a cellophane bag full of white powder. That was it for me. I didn't want to have anything to do with Missy anymore. In hindsight, I should have broken up with her immediately. It was a huge mistake not to. But I knew she would erupt and make a big deal out of it, so I avoided it, and I avoided her. One day after school she confronted me. She accused me of having eyes for another cheerleader named Kim. It's true, I did find Kim attractive, and Kim seemed really nice. She was sweet, cute, cheerful, pleasant. All the things Missy pretended to be. A week later, Missy lashed out at me and screamed at the top of her lungs as she accused me of having an affair with Kim. She said she'd kill me if she found out I was cheating on her. Missy's behavior was getting scary. In all honesty, I wanted to go out with Kim, but I wasn't cheating on Missy with her. I would never ask Kim out until I was broken up with Missy. On the night in question, Missy called me up and told me to come over when she put the Brats to bed. That's what she referred to the Andersons' twin daughters as, the Brats. I didn't want to go, but decided to take that opportunity to break up with her. The Andersons had a strict rule that Missy was never to have boys over while she was babysitting, and Missy's father checked on her all the time. That didn't stop Missy from inviting me over when she was babysitting. She just waited until she put the twins to bed before she would let me in. Missy was paranoid that the Andersons or her father would find out that I was over there while she was babysitting and she was scared to death of her goody-two-shoes reputation being shattered, so she created a fail-safe. Before I ever visited her while she was babysitting, I'd go to the movies and buy a ticket. I'd then go into the movie theater and sneak out through a window in the bathroom. Missy was adamant that I always keep that ticket stub. Then if she were ever confronted about having me over, I could produce the ticket stub as evidence that I was not there. I always thought such a measure was extreme, but she insisted so I always agreed to do it. I did it that night too. I bought a ticket for the 8.45 show. Once the movie started, I went to the bathroom and climbed out of the window. I arrived at the Anderson's house a little after 9 and knocked on the door. Missy answered and was all smiles. She was rubbing all over me and telling me how sorry she was that she accused me of cheating on her. She then told me she had a surprise for me. She had me sit down in a chair and cover my eyes. I was nervous about telling her I was breaking up with her. I knew it would get ugly when I did, so I played along with her little surprise game. It was my way of procrastinating. I sat in the chair and covered my eyes for a good 30 seconds or so before I got impatient and opened them. How fortunate I was, there was a mirror hanging over the fireplace in front of me. When I opened my eyes I could see the reflection of Missy with a demented scowl on her face running up behind me with a knife raised high in the air. I jumped out of the chair as she rushed me. I managed to grab her wrist with one hand and a handful of her sweater with the other. She screamed at me as she tried to stab me. You son of a bitch! I told you I'd kill you if you ever cheated on me! I was able to push her back, ripping her sweater in the process. She looked down at her torn garment and smiled. That's right, Greggy. Rip my clothes. Slap me around. It will help to make it look like self-defense. She then started punching herself in the face, bruising herself in the process. I could see where this was going. If she were able to kill me, she'd have no problem making it look like I was the aggressor. She charged me again, missing my throat with the blade of the knife by centimeters. I was able to grab hold of her again and I shoved her hard. She tripped over the oriental rug on the floor that had been messed up during the struggle and she fell awkwardly hitting her head on the marble coffee table. She was completely motionless on the ground with her eyes open. She was dead and everyone was going to think I killed her. I probably should have just called the police and told the truth, but I panicked thinking I would be the prime suspect. I had to hide her body and I needed an alibi. That's when it dawned on me. Thanks to Missy, I already had the start of an alibi, the movie ticket. I just needed to take my alibi to the next level. I stealthily snuck out of the house, hurried back to the movie theater, climbed back in through the window and stepped up to the concession counter. I ordered a tub of popcorn. I needed to do a couple things to make sure the concession girl remembered me, so I complimented her on her smile and then spilled my popcorn all over the place. I apologized profusely and she laughed, explaining that this happened often. After that, I went into the bathroom, climbed through the window, and went back to the Anderson's house. I left everything in disarray and opened the front door a crack. That would make it look like an intruder. I made sure all of the Anderson's house lights were off. I picked up Missy, carried her out the back door, and threw a small tree line around the back of the neighborhood houses. Just a block away was a junkyard. I knew they didn't have any kind of security there because a lot of my friends used to take their girlfriends there to make out. I hid her body in the trunk of an old, rusty car that I knew they'd be demolishing in the next day or so. From there, I hurried back to the movie theater, snuck in just as the movie was letting out, and exited with the crowd. As I left, I made a point to go up to one of the ushers and told him how much I thought the movie sucked. I figured that would help him to remember me. The buzz about Missy's disappearance was through the roof, and I became the number one suspect, But thankfully, my alibi held up. I was able to get on with my life. Nobody suspects me of anything, except for Missy's father. Anytime I run into him, he stares at me in an unnerving, knowingly way. If you like the Maniac and the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much.